You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-S. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, we discuss Kenny Clark's massive new extension, our first look at year two of the Packers offense, and our first look at a tweak in the Packers defense. But let's start with the big news from over the weekend. The Green Bay Packers and Kenny Clark reached a massive deal, $17.5 million per season. It's a four-year, $70 million deal, making Kenny Clark the highest paid true nose tackle in football. And there are going to be people who say, oh, that's a lot for an interior defender. That's a lot for a run stuffer. And and first of all, that run stuffer part is just not true. It's just not real. When you go back and look at 2019, Kenny Clark was second among interior defensive linemen in pressures, second in hurries, and third in run stops. He was the most disruptive non-Aaron Donald interior defensive lineman in football. And... He's 24 until October. So you look at DeForest Buckner, he got over $20 million this year in a trade that included a first-round pick. The Colts traded a first for DeForest Buckner and then gave him a $21 million contract. The Chiefs gave Chris Jones a $20 million annual contract. Kenny Clark got a deal that was just over the one that Fletcher Cox signed multiple seasons ago. And yet, Kenny Clark's production last season says that he is in that upper echelon, super elite level of interior defenders. That means the Packers got a very good deal here. Kenny Clark is still getting better. It seems like every year, He gets a little bit better. He adds a little bit more to his repertoire. And he also plays a preposterous amount of snaps. I mean, you don't normally see nose tackles out there playing even just 60% of snaps. I mean, that would be a little absurd. 70%? No, no, no. That doesn't happen. 80% is unheard of. No one does that. Except Kenny Clark does that. And when you think about what he does for this defense, considering how much small personnel that they play, it's even more remarkable because he was able to be third among interior defenders in run stops, despite the fact that Mike Patton plays more dime defense than anyone else in football. I mean, Kenny Clark played almost 84 
50% of defensive snaps last year, and that is even fighting through an injury in the early part of the season when he wasn't quite as productive and effective. This is a huge win for the Packers, who locked down a great young player on their team and at a position where there are very few impact players. Interior defenders are mostly interchangeable. Interior defenders you can find. You can get that guy who can just come in and give you snaps. I mean, Akeem Hicks was not a high draft pick. Brandon Williams was not a high draft pick. Michael Pierce was not a high draft pick. You can find guys who can come in and just be good for you. DJ Reader was not a high draft pick. DJ Reader got $13.2 million. He's not anywhere near as impactful in all phases as Kenny Clark. You can, in the second, third, fourth round, find defensive linemen, generally. There are only really about five guys on the interior who matter. It's Aaron Donald, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Kenny Clark, Fletcher Cox, Grady Jarrett. That's the full list. Geno Atkins was on that list. He is probably not on that list anymore. It's six guys. And they give you such an advantage because of their ability to affect the game, both run and pass. So few guys are able to do that. It's a little bit like the tight end position where you can find guys who can give you serviceable reps. But having someone who is super elite gives you a unique advantage in the league because interior pressure is so valuable and so few players can give it to you. Kenny Clark can give it to you. And although he is not mentioned in the same conversation with Fletcher Cox or Chris Jones or even at times Grady Jarrett, his productivity as a pass rusher says he belongs in that conversation. Even though the gaudy sack numbers aren't there, The pressure and hurry numbers are he affects the quarterback, he affects the pocket, and he does it consistently. Now what this sets up, and this is something Ian Rappaport mentioned over the weekend, that the Packers have two more guys that they're prioritizing, and it's Aaron Jones, who he he said first, and David Bakhtiari, he also mentioned that they have to deal with a contract for Kevin King. It sounds like, and, and this has been reported going back to last year, that they're working on a deal. They want to get a deal done. What does a, a reasonable deal look like? We really don't know. We're still waiting to see some dominoes fall with some other players. I mean, what is a Dalvin Cook deal going to look like? And, and don't let any of those fake Twitter accounts out there fool you. He does not have a deal yet. Now, that means that we don't have comps to go off of for Aaron Jones. And we don't even really know if Aaron Jones is going to be able to command that kind of salary. One reason, if you're the Packers, to get this deal done now is you won't have to pay as much. Because if Aaron Jones goes out and has another season like he did last year, he's going to want a top-of-market contract. He's going to want something in that higher level. Not quite Christian McCaffrey numbers, but he's going to want serious coin and and he will believe that he deserves it in all likelihood. That is how most markets work. It's just not quite how the running back markets work. So if you want Aaron Jones and you think he is better than the replacement level guys that you can get, even if statistically speaking, he's probably not that much better. 
if you can get him now for something a little above that Austin Eckler deal before he has another a, a prove it season. He has a breakout season and now it's a it's a show me season. It's a, okay, you did it once. Let's see you do it again. Well, okay. Now you did it again. Now you're going to want real money. And that's something that I think is a potential problem for Green Bay if they want to keep him. I, I That is why they're looking at trying to get this deal done when they are, as if to say, hey, look, if you are a running back, you have a short shelf life in this league. So take the money now. You have one year left on your deal. If you get hurt this year, you might not get paid because you haven't established yourself in the league as a premier talent the way Le'Veon Bell did. You don't even have a track record like Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley. So if you hit the open market, you're not even going to get what they're getting. So take what we're offering and be happy about it. That could be the Packers negotiating position. And I don't think that's a crazy position for them to take. I think that's probably a smart position for them to take. Now, whether or not that's real, whether or not the agent buys that, certainly that remains to be seen. And then David Bakhtiari becomes a question as well. He's going to get paid no matter what. It's either going to be with the Packers or someone else. Someone is going to pay him at a top of market or near top of market kind of contract. He's going to get 16, 17, 18 plus million dollars. And it's going to be pretty easy for him to get that money. The Packers don't have the same kind of leverage. So, okay, does it make sense to wait? I don't know. It's less clear there. If he has some more injuries, then you know you, you have a, you better you have better leveraging power. But then at the same time, you've brought in these question marks. And speaking of question marks, you still have to make a decision on Kevin King. Is he someone whose talent outweighs the risk? And is he someone who you try and do the same thing with Aaron Jones? You try and lock him up for cheap now, and you take that risk and you say, okay, we think he's going to be the guy that he was at the beginning of 2018. And that we saw for flashes in 2019 who led the team in interceptions. Is he going to be that guy for the next four years, five years? And is he worth trying to get that locked up now versus if he has another season, if he builds on what he did last year, let's say he goes out and has six, seven interceptions, starts 16 games and, and is a Pro Bowl player. They think he has serious talent. Well, then all of a sudden he's going to want a huge deal. And especially if the salary cap goes down, they might not be able to give it to him. So that's why these contractual musical chairs matter just as much now to plan for the future as they do in January, February, March before they're trying to figure out what's going on here because they won't be able to get the deals that they can now. And that's, that is both good for them and, and potentially bad for them now versus what they will next year. And and that's true in reverse for the players. Someone like Kevin King, if he has another bad season, Green Bay might just say, hey, come back one year, a small money deal. You know the system. Your best opportunity to succeed is here. Prove it and make your money. And if you can do it, hey, we'll sign you or someone else will sign you. I think the prudent play is to wait. With Jones, if you want Jones to be a part of your future, then I, I can see making the case to sign him now to try and keep your costs down. If he has another big year, you let him walk and you say, vaya con Dios. And we drafted A.J. Dillon. We can re-sign Jamal Williams for cheap. We're good. We're happy with that. The Packers can do that. 
David Bakhtiari is going to get paid. So do it now, do it later. It doesn't matter if you want to pay David Bakhtiari. I actually do think it makes sense to wait because he might miss three games. And that might drive his value down. Who knows? He is, you know, getting closer to that 30 number. Green Bay doesn't tend to give third contracts to offensive linemen, but they've never been in a position with an offensive lineman like David Bakhtiari, who's been a multiple-time All-Pro, who's played at this level, and whose body doesn't seem to be breaking down. When they got rid of, when they moved on from, I don't want to be uncharitable, when they moved on from Josh Sitton and TJ Lang, those guys' bodies were starting to betray them, and, and those guys had battled through injuries. They were warriors. They were warriors and played through injuries constantly. And David Bakhtiari has had some back issues. He's played through injury, but not where he's had to miss games. Not really. And it hasn't hurt his level of play. He also plays a more important position. So the Packers, you would think, would value that a little bit more than the guard position, which is generally seen as a little bit more replaceable. Either way, they've got some decisions to make because they have to decide on value. They have to decide what does David Bakhtiari look like in age 32, 33? And, and what is the commensurate money to make that make sense for the team? So the Packers took the field over the weekend. No practice Sunday, but they did finally get out there in front of the media. No fans on Saturday. And there was the first glimpse of of this 2020 Packers team. And, of course, there are a lot of questions. You know, how does Christian Kirksey look? How does Aaron Rodgers look in year two? How does Jordan Love look? How do the rookies look? How do the tight ends look? What's the deal with the offensive line? And I think, you know, it's we have to be careful, obviously. We have to be careful not to overreact to one practice. And especially one practice and then an off day. So we have an extra day to spend talking about everything that happened at that practice and not even a second practice to follow up on and say, okay, yeah, Josh Jackson had a rough first day, but on the second day he was much better and yada, yada. No, we just have to have the sky is falling, Josh Jackson sucks and can't play discussion. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because it's silly. But, but... Aaron Rodgers said after practice that he felt like the offense looked sharp and he felt like there was a difference in year two. And, you know, by really unanimous media accounts, you know, there can be, you know, competing views. Sometimes the media, you line 10 media people up and they're going to have different views on how the game went or how a practice went or how a player did, but pretty unanimous approval of what the offense did in practice on Sunday. Alan Lazard had a touchdown. Jake Kumro had a touchdown. Jordan Love looked good. Tim Boyle looked good. Aaron Rodgers looked sharp. MBS has a long, you know, a, a big play over Josh Jackson. Um, A.J. Dillon looks the part. His legs go viral. <laughs> and this is something that I think we can talk about because it's day one. It's not one of those things you say, okay, well, it's only day one. No, the opposite is true. For them to come out and look sharp and for the quarterback who is notoriously persnickety about the level of play and the detail and the commitment and the work ethic and all that stuff, for him to come out and say, no, I thought we were sharp. I thought things were good. I thought that there was an added comfort. 
that carries weight. And, you know, if there were going to be issues, you'd expect them to be early on. And then you'd, you'd iron out the kinks. And, and if they had not looked sharp day one, it would have been easy to say, well, it's day one. But the fact that they did, I actually do think matters because, and maybe it doesn't matter a lot, but it matters some. It does point toward as much as any practice can. The fact that it's the first one and they still looked so sharp with no off-season activities. I mean, nothing in terms of in-person work. And that's with Aaron Rodgers, who is so reliant on trust and timing. Even with that, they go out, and it's not just Rodgers. It's Tim Boyle firing lasers. It's Jordan Love, who's still learning this offense, doing a thing. And they're able to put together a sharp outing. If you're going to make a case for the Packers in 2020, it has to start with the offense making a leap in year two. Because ultimately, in situations where the Packers needed to come back, where they had to play off script, or they were behind in the down and distance, third down, they struggled. Why do they struggle? Because they were in a lot of third and longs. This offense is not built for third and longs. These games that they lost, why did they lose? They didn't jump out to an early lead. Even in games where it wasn't like, oh, they were down, you know, San Francisco, they weren't down huge early. That game was tight through a quarter. And they couldn't get going because they couldn't stay balanced. The same happened against the Chargers. And to a degree, the same happened against the Eagles. I mean, they threw 50-plus times in that Thursday night game. And yeah, they probably still win if MVS is able to get his hands around the ball on the goal line or if Darius Shepard doesn't have the ball hit his face mask, if Aaron Rodgers makes a better throw there, or if the the, the pass interference down the sideline gets correctly called or if Devontae Adams doesn't get hurt or if one of a 100 different things goes another way, maybe the Packers win that game. But their inability to play consistently when they need to throw the ball has been a problem. So if you're going to make a case for 2020, it's that in year two of this offense, number one, they're going to have fewer of those situations where they obviously have to pass. And number three, they are going to be better in those situations. You get a leap from Alan Lazard. You get a mini leap from MVS. He takes a step. EQ comes back and you get all of the fun stuff that's going on. Josiah DeGuar getting first team reps. Jay Sternberger hopefully going to get out there soon, get cleared from COVID, and be out there in the slot. Maybe Big Bob Tanyan gives them a boost. And we know Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. We know this offensive line is going to be really good. The offensive line is something, of course, we'll talk about down the way. This competition, there is going to be a competition at right tackle. Billy Turner got the first snaps with Lane Taylor at right guard, but Rick Wagner rotated in. Billy Turner with some right guard snaps as well when Wagner was out there at right tackle. Matt LaFleur is going to let those guys decide it. He's going to let the play on the field decide it. So there could be some changes there, but you're trying to get your best five. And and Matt LaFleur has preached the idea of getting your best players out there and letting the players decide it to open competition. It's always going to be a competition. And that's the way the Packers want it. I think that's the way it should be. And hopefully that leads to the Packers not missing much with the loss of Brian Bulaga in the offseason. So I want to finish on this because it caught my attention and then didn't get a lot of buzz coming out of that first practice. 
the Packers opened, and you know the the defense you open in, you know whatever. Oren Burks played a ton last year in the spring, even into training camp, and then once he was healthy, they didn't play him at all during the season. So let's not go nuts. But the package the Packers played the most last year included three outside linebackers and two defensive linemen. That's what they played the most, and then six behind. So you have two defensive linemen, three outside linebackers, an inside linebacker. Okay, so you've got a little 2-4, and then five DBs behind. Two safeties, three corners. And in that case, it was King, Tremont Williams, Jair Alexander. It's going to be Shannon Sullivan. That was what they played the most of anything. And the Packers opened with two defensive linemen, three outside linebackers with Rashawn Gary, and Christian Kirksey. Now, the interesting thing is they also had Oren Burks on the field. If that's base, I, I kind of love it. I love the idea of it at least. And I mean base base, not like the the formation they play the most because I still think they're going to play a single off-ball linebacker the most. I think it's going to be Kirko and and a bunch of DBs out there. So this would have been two defensive linemen, whether it's Clark and Lowry, Clark and Kiki, Clark and, and Lancaster, doesn't matter. But Clark and someone, the Smith brothers and Gary and Kirksey, and then five defensive backs behind it. I think that's going to be the 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 formation, the personnel they play the most. But if they want to stop the run, if they want to on first down do a thing, if they're going to play the 49ers or the Vikings, some of these run-heavy teams, the idea of rather than playing three defensive linemen when that third defensive lineman isn't very good and unlikely to be impactful if it's a pass, and we talked about this at the top of the show, interior defensive linemen, really not that impactful. But if all of a sudden you've got Zadarius Smith lining up over a guard, he can wreak havoc. And that's what he did in the second half of last year. Well, now if you've got a guy like Rashawn Gary, whose best trait is his ability to stop the run, isn't that like having an extra defensive lineman out there? Yes, but you can play him wherever you want. So now you can line Zadarius Smith over the B gap, or you can line him up over the A gap. You can mix in, you know, some some stunts and some twists. And the offensive line is not going to know where these guys are coming from. There's going to be five. You have Preston Smith who can drop in coverage. Maybe he's not coming. Maybe Christian Kirksey is coming. And Oren Burks, at least in theory, the thing that he can do is cover. The thing that he can do is run. So even if he's not the most instinctive run-fit player, he's not the most instinctive guy diagnosing and coming downhill to make plays in the run game, first of all, he can run. So if he's going to make a mistake, his speed can make up for it. But second of all, now you have these other guys. You're playing bigger people out there and and guys who can already stop the run. Rashawn Gary makes that easier. You couldn't do that with Kyler Fackrell. You couldn't play small with three outside linebackers and Fackrell and expect to stop the run because... That guy just couldn't hold up. Rashawn Gary can. Now that means when you play some of these power run teams, when you play the 49ers, the Smiths still have to set better edges than they did in that NFC Championship game. And you still need your alley defenders to play better. You still need guys to make tackles. You still need guys to fill aggressively, to not get fooled on play action, to not give up deep shots. You still need all that stuff. 
But now if you have someone like Christian Kirksey, who is that instinctive guy, and, and instinctive in a way that Blake Martinez just wasn't, instinctive and aggressive, and he looked good in his first practice, looked like you know, he, he just belonged out there, right? Then you add in Oren Burks, he's going to get that opportunity. He's got the draft pedigree, he's been in this defense the longest, and theoretically this is the time for him. He's, he's still learning the linebacker position. You would hope that he's got it down by now. If that's the case, he's kind of the perfect guy to play there. And so what you need is for him to be a reliable cover player and just fine in the run game. Doesn't need to be, you know, Dante Hightower. Doesn't need to be some downhill thumper. Doesn't need to be a maven. Doesn't need to be what Blake Martinez was a couple years ago, you know, as a, as a run defender. But just be okay, just be passable there, and and be good enough running sideline to sideline. Be good enough in the passing game. Make your impact that way so you don't have to play as small. When you add the beef behind the linebacker position and you can play big with your linebackers while playing small with your safeties, did you follow that? That allows you to cover all your bases. You can play the run on early downs, and you can play the pass. You know, the Packers had been two years ago, 2018. They played a lot of base on early downs, and they played a lot of nickel and sub package later in the down, and it made it easy on first down to throw. Okay, if you're going to play base people and your linebackers can't cover, we're going to throw. Okay, great. If you are a, a team that wants to be multiple and you want to combat that, you have to be able to play big on first down and cover people. So that's something that I think this is aimed at combating a lot more to get to this week as the Packers return to the practice field unfortunately we don't have games to talk about we will not have preseason games to get to but we will certainly continue to hear from players we could have more contract news if the Packers are working on getting some of these deals ironed out and getting to to try and figure out who is making an impact we're going to hear from some of these players they're going to offer their perspective on how practices are going and how they're moving forward. Of course, news like Mason Crosby getting back on the field is huge. So all of this stuff is part of what Locked on Packers is going to be until we get to a season. So make sure that you're subscribed. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. Never miss an episode by following the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Follow me on Twitter for real-time insights at Peter underscore Bukowski. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.